What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. And boy, do we have a packed show today. My name is <laughs> Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, 2021? Question mark, question mark? Oh, <laughs> I am vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's uh. It's DC Fandom review time. We're going to jump right into that and a lot of music and one, I think, excellent TV show we'll be talking about. A little spoiler right there. But before we jump too far in, give me that follow if you're watching on YouTube. Just hit hit the subscribe right down below. Do YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. Also go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. The only place where you can find all the ways to listen to the podcast in your earballs and of course nostalgia pod on twitter um dave you know we we have a a varied history i'd say with with the dc universe we've we've given some not so good reviews of dc movies uh and and products and some very uh i'd say positive reviews aquaman other than some uh i think graphic design and, and effects work we <laughs> yeah. were were pretty high on <laughs> somehow looked worse on land than underwater still don't understand why that was <laughs> <laughs> figure that but uh i would say dc has been trending up we also i think um the movie was with zach uh what's his name did pretty well now it's not great that i'm forgetting but Who? Uh, adjacent to black adam oh uh zachary levi shazam yeah. yes yeah i like shazam, shazam a lot yeah, yeah that was shazam- a good one Good movie. Uh, I can't remember the name, but we, we both enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Birds um, of Prey, just this past February. Didn't do well at the box office, but I liked that one quite a bit. Yeah, there were, there, there's were there been some things to like recently. So DC Joker, fandom. of course. A lot of talk oh. last year, lest, lest we forget. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the new stuff, though. DC Fandom this past weekend, a lot of new content coming out of that, and we have to start with Batman. Because we we are our Pattinson stands, we've mm. been looking forward to the the Batman, the Matt Reeves Batman. Because this cast is insane, uh, and we got our first look. What did you think of the trailer? Looked good, dude. Yeah, it looked good. It looked intense. It looked like a lot of what they've been telling us about. You know, Matt Matthew Reeves, to his credit, has been very consistent in his messaging and even dedication to getting this movie made you know he's he was attached to the movie for several years um you know and then you're hearing his comments about his uh affinity for the comic mythos batman and stuff like that and then you see that translated to this trailer which again as we know that this movie is far from being completed it just went it's just going back to production next month so despite only filming you know i think a few months still cut a really solid trailer and you know, I think the, the key thing is that kind of like down to earth, you, you really get the sense that that like year two vibe that we associate with early Batman right after he becomes Batman, the comics uh, seems to be coming across and that's exciting, you know, and whether it's as truly noir detective as they're saying remains to be seen. But even if we get just, you know, bits and pieces of that, that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. For sure. And I, I actually just thought, I mean, the whole vibe of the trailer, kind of like you talked about, was great. It was dark. Uh, it really gives like a harrowing feeling of Gotham, which I know uh, people have had varying 
likes or dislikes on some of the past takes on Gotham and Batman being played too cartoony. More recently, we've had the, the grittier Batman, you know, Affleck's Batman was very gritty and dark. And obviously the, the Nolan Batmans were very gritty and dark as well. And this seems to be more in that vein. One thing that really stood out to me is we see a scene where Batman is being kind of taunted by this, this group of hoodlums. And then, yeah. you know, he kind of puts the beat down on one of them. The, the fighting in that reminded me a lot of the Arkham uh, games, you know, like, like the style, yes. how it was oh, kind of, of like the, doof, 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 and then like, yep. almost like you're pressing like XBA, like as yeah. you're going through it, it was uh, definitely, I thought very cool. And then we get the, I am vengeance from Pattinson. And I was just like, all right, I'm in. I'm a hundred percent in on this. Just, uh, I just want mm-hmm. it to be dropped tomorrow. Although I don't know if I could even see it in a movie theater if I wanted to. That's tomorrow. true. Yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, g- give me a couple months. Let's hope. Uh, but that wasn't the only Batman news we've gotten from DC fandom because we have Ben Affleck returning <laughs> in the flash. What, what do you right. think of this? Yeah. I mean, when we knew they got Michael Keaton, which was reported a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, it started, you know, coming up, right? It's like, you know, the flashpoint, flash forward kind of storyline that's we've known is going to be the subject of the Ezra Miller Flash movie that's been in development hell for a while. Uh, they seem to really be finally moving forward with that movie after multiple directors and scripts and stuff. And tying it all together with past iterations and really doubling down on that multiverse. Not something we've really seen in any of the mainstream superhero movies to this point with the brief exception of Into the Spider-Verse. You know, so I think that's really, really cool idea. And I think, you know, uh, we remember people are been clamoring for Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Mans to come back in a similar capacity. So uh, Affleck's return, you know, I was completely shut off to the idea just because I figured he had really put this, you know, behind him and kind of talked about getting out of the dark place and the press for the way back and, you know, how he, he was not doing well following these movies. And you, <laughs> then again, he was in full support of the Snyder cut when, you know, that full thing came through. So the door was opened once again and he's back and that, that's, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be something. That's pretty cool. You know, and I wonder how much, and there was, uh, some more news on the Snyder Cup, but nothing I think that's super noteworthy. So we, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I wonder how much of the return of the Snyder Cut um, actually has impacted how much these other people want to be involved. You know, there was kind of rumors, is Cavill going to be returning as Superman? But right. it's been reported that he's back in, you know, Ben Affleck kind of returning. So it seems like maybe the Snyder Cut is almost... Uh, bringing that vision that all these people originally signed on board for um, that, that they obviously believed in. And maybe that's why you see Affleck more willing to, I, I agree. I think we both kind of thought this, there's no way we're ever going to see him as, as Batman again, but I'm, I'm excited because, you know, he, he plays a different Batman. I agree. The multiverse thing is pretty cool. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. We're getting like young Batman and Pattinson, middle-aged mm-hmm. Batman, and then old Batman and Keaton eventually. So. Right. And I mean, there's also been some kind of conflicting info about if the Pattinson Reeves Batman is like a Joker entry where it's not connected to anything else. Mm-hmm. And whether that, that's the case or not, I think that just kind of speaks to what's cool about DC is that they're kind of more fast and loose with everything. And that allows these varying tones and even to a certain extent, uh, directorial styles that actually shine through versus the more homogenized feel that we get with the mcu so 
that um yeah I actually really don't mind either way but it's it's cool they're really just kind of down for anything if the idea is good you know and yeah. we've heard that the Reeves script is well like this whole time so yeah a lot a lot of exciting news Black Adam he didn't get a whole lot of really didn't see anything but you know just the Society of America's and can be in the movie, so that means you get Hawk, Hawkman, and Doctor mm-hmm. Fate, and we know Noah Centineo has been cast in that movie. That we knew, we knew it wouldn't take long for him to get into <laughs> some IP, a big IP, and here it is. Um, so that's cool. I, I'm definitely down with that because The Rock seems to be all in with Black Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was also excited to see James Gunn uh, on the set of Suicide Squad. You know, because. Right. Uh, they're obviously building out the Suicide Squad. Idris Elba's hopping on board as well as a couple other notable names. Um, and Gunn has been a, a director who has been able to bring tone uh, in terms of a lighter tone, uh, but also while making a really solid superhero movie. You know, you think back to the Guardian movies. So he seems like a perfect fit for this type of movie. And everything we're hearing from set, and obviously they're not going to be releasing uh, if there are issues that people saying, ah, screw gun, but like yeah. everything that, that people are saying in the interview seems to be positive. And I'm really hopeful that this suicide squad follow-up or whatever it is, reboot, however they're kind of framing it can actually come across a lot better than the first one. How are you feeling after seeing like the, the behind the, the scenes sneak peek of that? Yeah, I have an open mind and I think just gun just seems to be a upgrade over David Ayer who yeah. David Ayer's, not long since lost his way. He's kept up his bad streak recently with the tax collector, which is out now. Um, so gun, you, you know, like him or hate him. And obviously was in a bit of con- some controversy relatively recently, but he uh, definitely has his own style. And again, DC is not going to rein that in. So it should be, uh, it should stand out in some way, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, overall, a lot of fun stuff coming out of the the DC fandom. And uh, I think what I really like, and to go back to a point you said before, is that they aren't following the Marvel playbook. You know, they're not trying to make the, these stories all interconnected, at least not yet from what we can see. And I think that that's great. You always have different uh, arcs and superhero comic books, different uh, illustration mm-hmm. styles. So stick with that. Be making all different types of movies for all different types of people within these universes. You don't necessarily need to have one centralized story propelling them all forward. So definitely cool to see. It feels like DC is kind of starting to feel more comfortable in their own sphere too, that the, the criticism has started to, to die down and shift a bit. So very cool. We're going to, Jump away from the DC fandom, though, to uh, an EP that dropped just today, Dave, 1999, from our guy, Rich Brian. Um, yeah. Not the like Joey a, Badass mixtape. No, <laughs> uh, not not the Joey Badass mixtape, for sure. But Rich Brian, uh, you know, 88 rising star and leader. Uh, we've talked about him a couple of times. You know, c- came out of that, like, what, that... Uh, I was going to say TikTok, but that Vine world. Vine, yeah. Really. Oh, man, I miss Vine. But TikTok, also a very good app. Um, and when we first reviewed him, I think we, we were pleasantly surprised. And we were like, man, this guy, he really has something. And I, I think you can kind of see the potential here. Uh, and then on the second release, I think we, we kind of saw the growth and him really mm-hmm. becoming an artist and a producer and really, I think, coming to his own 
do you feel like 1999 is, is a continuation of that for Rich? Yeah, it's definitely a continuation of the growth, no doubt about that. You know, and most of the stuff on 1999, he probably has dabbled with in songs we've heard before. Mm-hmm. On, on uh, The Sailor, you know, I think a song like 100 Degrees, one of my favorite songs off that track, and even Glow Like That from Amen. Brian has demonstrated interest in more melodic tunes and kind of just a wide ranging sound, which is again, f- far different from what we expected from the guy who made that stick when he used to go by rich Chigo. Right. So <laughs> it, it's, su- it's such a long way for a guy who's uh, just about to turn 21. He's still incredibly young despite a, yeah. a, a solid, solid uh, uh, output already. And, you know, I think 1999 does have a, f- a few of my favorite songs from his to date. You know, I think there was some moments I didn't like quite nearly as much, but I think what's clear and what will stand the test of time is that Brian is really kind of like his uh, label mate Joji. He's really just kind of an impressive artist that can do a lot of different things. And that's always exciting. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I thought there was a lot of growth on this. And I don't think every song hits kind of like you alluded to, like long run just didn't catch me very much. But the first track, sometimes, uh, I thought that was an absolute hit and probably one of the strongest songs we've heard from from Rich Brian at this point, mm-hmm. um, as well as DOA really stood out to me as just a really yeah. solid track. Um, more, almost more dancey than he's ever done. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a bit of like Flock of Seagulls, I Ran, a uh, very you know, famous 80s song. Um, sure. And I, I just thought it was really impressive that even in these like six or seven tracks, he really was exploring a lot of different sounds while kind of keeping his, his like uh, trademark, like vocal performance and, and I think delivery on a lot of it. So mm-hmm. it really felt of, of an artist, but uh, still ex- exploring what songs stood out to you or what moments did you like the most? Yeah. I actually didn't mind long run just as kind of like a standard Brian rap. I think that's probably because he didn't really have many other of those right. <laughs> on the CP. Um, but Love in My Pocket, the the first single, really stood out to me because that's mm-hmm. a song where you have the melodic and singing stuff throughout the first half of the song. He doesn't really do any kind of rapping until the end. And I just thought his flow was so impressive. Like when the beat, uh, the drum kicks back in with the beat and he just holds the flow. Uh, I think that, that one's a huge highlight for me. Yeah. Um, but even song like Don't Care, and you mentioned uh, sometimes, you know, when he's really just kind of mixing it up throughout the length of the track. It's It's, it's really fun. Yeah, he he does a really good job of jumping, I think, between the, the rapping and, and the more melodic stuff pretty well, especially for someone who's only put out, you know, uh, what he's been on five different records, maybe six different records and a couple of features. You know, mm-hmm. it's he's still very young, like you said. So a lot to like here. I feel like, I mean, the, the whole ADA Rising group we've really had our eyes on, but him and Joji just seem to be skyrocketing, man. Mm-hmm. It's It's really cool to watch and uh, you know, the more EPs we get like this, the more I think we're going to be uh, looking forward to that next full-length album drop. Joji's album Nectar comes out on September 25th. Very excited about that. Can't wait, man. Um, why don't we jump to another EP that dropped, Troy Sivan. Ah, yes. I mean, where are you at with Troy Sivan going into this? Uh, into this... He's someone who I recognize his influence and his celebrity a lot more than the music he's made to this point. You know, I think it's pretty undeniable that he's become a uh, important uh, gay icon 
in pop music and uh, along with that he's had mainstream success without you know hiding who he is and that's awesome but his music to me to this point it's just kind of like this soft pop and his vocals have always been kind of by design a little understated so he hasn't really done a whole lot for me of course there's highlights his second album my oh my it's a great track you know and that's one of the ones where i think his personality really shines through but by and large i haven't really cared for his stuff but uh he seems like a an interesting figure still and uh should continue to keep right growing because he's also still quite young yeah he's what 20 i think now um around there and if i think as I think about Troy Sivan, he's someone that feels like he's bigger than maybe he's his 25. music. He's 25. Jesus. Older than I thought. I thought. Um, but he's someone who I think his music uh, has not lived up to the star that he has. Yeah. But I think, like you said, his influence as a celebrity uh, is what really drives his fame and his notoriety. But I feel like on in a dream, we get something different from him than we've heard on Bloom or Blue Neighborhood. And you can kind of tell just by the the album covers, I think, that you're getting something different. Like Bloom is this very like crisp, clear picture of the back of his head, and Blue Neighborhood is this portrait of him that's very crisp and clear. And then in a dream just is like this messy kind of like oversaturated mm, album cover yeah, yeah it, that's i right. think we i think we get a lot of troy taking chances and and trying some new things and being messy on this album like i think of a song like my oh my and like you said it's that like very crystal clear soft pop that isn't is inoffensive but mm-hmm. still kind of infectious but I really took away from In a Dream. A couple of these songs felt like, man, Troy Sivan might be able to become like an artist that is really known for his music and not just a celebrity. Did you get that same feeling after listening? On some of it, I still didn't really love the EP, but you can definitely see the change. And he has been very effusive in his uh, admiration for this music and how it's you know, basically his favorite stuff he's made to this point. So that's a good sign. Um, I think of probably something like Stud, where he's just really uh, open with his lyricism. He's not really hiding anything. No. And again, not something that was too common in the first two albums. So that one stood out to me. And Take Yourself uh, Home, which I believe was just the first single. Yep. That one kind of reminds me of My Oh My a little bit, but it's a little, I don't know, like an all take on that kind of song. But then you have something like uh, Easy which still seem pretty down the middle. Right. So he's, I think he's still a work in progress, but you can definitely see the signs. Yeah, I agree. Take Yourself Home was a clear standout to me. Um, I think it, you can see him kind of growing a bit and, want, and it really felt like sad boy music that I actually didn't mind right. listening to. And it was a little bit more like... <laughs> Easier self, said than done. Right. And it was a little bit more like self-exploratory as well. It wasn't just like, oh, I have this breakup, but it was like, this breakup is now affecting me in this way. And I'm learning this self, this about myself because of it. I also, I mean, stud, I think is a clear stand on this. I also really liked rager teenager. I felt like that was him like exploring more instrumentally. Like there's this like uh, really cool guitar solo in the middle. That's like really like washed out and distorted. And uh, I just thought that was like a clear highlight moment on the album. And then it kind of has this like 
dancier outro to it, which I thought was cool. So it, and then it, it wraps up within a dream, which I also thought was a pretty solid track. I think the, you know, could, could cry just thinking about you was probably the track I, I liked the least, but overall I was kind of taken, taken aback by how much I actually really liked this EP. So um, really good to see from Troy. Uh, he was touring with Taylor Swift, I believe, on the last time he was live. And mm. I mean, who knows when we'll do concerts again. But I'm wondering if we'll get a bigger drop and then maybe a headline tour from him. Oh, uh, yeah. He, I think he'll definitely headline. The question is how big are those venues? Yeah. But, but uh, it's hard to say and hard to know even what that's going to look like when he, when he can. But yeah, uh, definitely good good for Troy for sure. Any last thoughts on this? Uh you know, I mean, not to be reductive, but when I think of uh, like, oh, like gay, you know, gay pop music and even music from straight artists that gay people ride for, generally speaking, I feel like they they like the weird stuff more. You know, like Charlie <laughs> XCX is this huge gay icon, right? right. Yeah. And her music is so different than Troy Sivan's. You know, yeah, definitely. So I would like Troy to continue to get weirder, just for my personal taste. Yeah, I agree. It's funny because I, I think of of uh charlie xcx but then i also think of someone like lisso who's like a huge icon in the gay community and she makes uh, i would say she makes great pop rap music but like very much like inoffensive i think in a lot of ways too very much just like self-empowerment self-acceptance which is very cool um all right jumping to another mixtape though from a rapper that we've talked quite a bit about on the show vic mensa um when was the last time we heard from him? 2018? We haven't covered him since 2017, but he actually has released a lot of stuff that I uh, didn't feel like we need to talk about, unfortunately. We talked about the autobiography in July 2017. So that was three years ago. Um, I think the biggest, the, 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 song, the song that's the test of time, one of his biggest hits was Liquor Locker on that track, which is you know, not, not exactly a traditional rap song, much more melodic. But then since then, we had the Hooligans tape, from the end of 2018, which had a few moments like reverse and in some trouble, but wasn't very good. And then, and then, uh, August 2019, a year ago, we had 93 Punks, his band project, which had a song called Camp America, which was bad. The whole project (laughs) was very poor and it had just these really like blatant, uh, over-the-top lyrics about society and America. And, like, you could tell the heart was in the right place, but it just uh, was was rough. And <laughs> I think this new tape, the V-tape, you can tell that Vic has been grappling with this, the ups and downs of his career and uh, is presenting this as a bit of a fresh start because he's hmm. kind of been all over the place and he's also become a bit of a punching bag in terms of hip-hop culture for things he said and uh i I am happy for this restart but yeah we haven't talked about him in a while because uh yeah there's i wasn't a lot to say at the time you know it's funny you're talking about how he's like grappling with uh his career over the last couple of years and um i wonder if the uh the title the title of the tracks on this might be alluding to that like vendetta or dirt on my name or Mm. too honest or rebirth pretty uh pretty clear yeah. what, what he was trying to accomplish with this. Did you feel like it, it merits that, that comeback type label on this? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot, see the thing, the, 
I've had to change my expectations of what I want from Vic Mensa so many times. And, and I think that's the thing with any longtime fans. And he's not someone who does big numbers. He has it. And that's something that academics has made fun of him for. But it's like, as well, like the, the, the actual Vic Mensa fans that like, you know, because again, he came up with Chance the Rapper. He, he's been around a long time. People have known about him if they've been plugged in. And he had some really good tracks early on. And he also dabbled in a lot of different genres. I have no problem with changing up what you want to do, but it just seemed like he got away from stuff from a quality standpoint since the uh, internet tape. And on this, you know, I think, uh, was it uh, Dirt On My Name? Dirt On My Name, I like the track. It sounds awfully lot like Drake doing Money in the Grave, mm-hmm. but that's fine <laughs> with me. Um, but I, yeah, I think for me, Rebirth. Rebirth was, was the highlight for me because that's where he... Uh, He's, he, I think he's most upfront about his uh, uh, self-flagellation, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I dissed a mother's son. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Yeah. That's a direct reference to him speaking on XXX Tentacion uh, at the VMAs, was it? Where his uh, mother was in the, uh, in the audience after X had been killed. And again, not, Vic, Vic was, was kind of saying some facts about the domestic violence and everything associated with X, but Maybe not uh, he, he, he got uh, quickly dogpiled on for the timing and the, the tact he used. And he seems to have uh, since reckoned with that. So, yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think there's some moments here for Vic. And, I, I'm, I, again, it seems like I always say this about him, but I'm curious to see what's next. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, I remember very clearly, like uh, maybe not exactly what we said, but I remember like listening to Autobiography and like us being like, yeah, you know, this was pretty good. Like Vic is constantly growing. He's probably never going to reach those like chance levels, but just a really solid pen game, really solid delivery. Um, yeah. I kind of used to think, you know, Vic had a shot at being like the, like Talib Kweli or like Lupe mm-hmm. Fiasco yeah. of his like era. And now like, what do you even see his ceiling being for this era? It's weird. Well, and that's the thing too. DJ Booth had a great comp back in 2017 when the autobiography comes out because Vic has never shied away from talking about uh, the struggles of his home in, in, in Chicago. And uh, DJ Booth compared him and Chance saying Chance was the, Mal- uh, the, the, the Martin and uh, Vic was the Malcolm. Right. And at the time, it makes a lot of sense. But since then, Vic, Vic has just had nothing but starts and stops. And Chance critically has since... Uh, fallen off with the big day yet chance has never been more famous right so it's like you, you can't even barely compare the two anymore um yeah. and you know and, and again with vic like you remember <laughs> remember four years ago he was on uh on wolves doing yeah. doing that snl with kanye right and he makes that song you mad and he he's just kind of been all over the place and he's i hope he can just find something he wants to do right because like the 93 punks thing you could tell he really was into that it just wasn't any good you know and hip-hop hip-hop wise i think he's a pretty solid rapper as you said but even if you want to do stuff like uh, down on my luck probably my favorite song of his is this dance song and has an awesome video and uh, that was where he kind of really jumped out to me post the internet tape but like yeah i mean in terms of his ceiling i i, I have no idea anymore you know, yeah. he signed, he's still signed the rock nation. And I think you can tell the rock to a certain extent is still invested in him. He did pull in the St. John feature on this V tape. St. John, of course, 
is a global sensation with Roses, one of the biggest songs of the year. Uh, that certainly wasn't cheap, that feature. So The Rock, the Rocks has invested at least a little bit. So I don't know. <laughs> I also thought that was probably one of the better tracks on all this, too, uh, to honest. He actually, a lot, of, a lot of some of the lyrical content on there reminded me a bit of Logic. You know, he's talking about like his biracial identity mm-hmm. and um, uh, just like how that's impacted him, things like that. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I thought this like this seemed like very much Vic, like kind of like mid-tier Vic Mensa type stuff for the most part. Right. But compared to what he's been putting out, it's a huge step up. So it's uh, it's hard to really, <laughs> I think, leave this feeling super optimistic, but at least he's moving in a direction where I think he's uh, finding himself again. I guess I'm grappling though with, he obviously has larger aspirations as an artist, or at least interests. I wonder if there's a way for him to, channel those in a, in a different way while also keeping you know true to that that original rap sound that really yeah. gained notoriety it's hard i guess i think of some someone like uh like will toledo how we, we talked <laughs> about carsey headrest and how they kind of created like that whole new band for uh their most recent drop so yeah i don't know i mean i think that you, even even something like the autobiography which is probably his best project since his debut mixtape on that, you have probably a top three Vic song with Say I Didn't, the first track, which mm-hmm. is a classic like Chicago modern jazz rap track. Yep. I made my top 10 of the year. And then two songs later, you have Rolling Like a Stoner, which, as you remarked at the time, just sounds like a blatant Cuddy clone, you know? <laughs> and the whole time, he's never been able to quite focus on what he wants to do. And Personally, I want more Sadens. That song's incredible. And I think one of my favorite moments of Vic's whole career is when him and Chance bury the hatchet at Lollapalooza in 2017, where Chance brings out Vic and they sing that song and Chance is like doing the ad libs and stuff. And amazing moment for, for, for Chicago hip hop. And I just hope Vic can just get to a, get to a place where more people are just actually excited for his music again. Well, I think this is a step in the right direction, but why don't we move on to an album we I guess we're probably a little more excited for Mulatto dropping Queen of the Queen of the South. Um, mm. You know, interesting. Uh, I, I we, we've been talking about Mulatto a little bit more recently. She was uh, featured on the oh boy, let's see if I can recall what album we were talking about last week. Wait, what, was, what was she on? I forgot. She she was featured on. Hold on, let me pull that up. She was an XXL freshman. In 2020 as well, but the one week of the before, more unexpected picks, which stood out sh- to me. It wasn't a Shoreline song, right? Who else did we talk about that week? Amine, Shoreline. I think it was Amine. Hold on. But I think this is a well-timed. Uh, this is the major label debut for Mulata, who's been independent for several years, and this is our first release on RCA Records, mm-hmm. and. Definitely not someone I expected to make XXL. Not that I hadn't seen the name, not that you hadn't been buzzed, but it didn't seem like not a lot of people were, were, were calling for her name. And yet here she is. And we have this well-timed debut. So I, um, I, was, I was interested to really jump into this one. But um, yeah, do you know yeah. what, what feature was it? Do you know? It was on Make Em Say by N- uh, with NLE Chapa. Oh, right. Yes, of course. That was, good. That was wanna, one of the best songs on that. Yeah, one of the highlights. And she was one, the reason that song really jumped out to me. Um, and I thought 
Queen of the, Queen of the, of the South really, uh, I thought it was very her from what, what I could tell from that feature, but I don't know if anything necessarily made it stand apart from a lot of the other female rappers in that lane. And I'm saying female rappers specifically in this case, because a lot of her lyrical content is specific to females. It's a lot about the female experience and sex and kind of how coming up, like gaining that notoriety over men and and, and Mm -hmm. the, the game in that sense, so to speak. And, uh, I think when when I think about people who are doing this sort of thing, Rico Nasty comes to mind as being someone that does this really well because there's a lot of, I feel like, nuance and a lot of um, like production that really stands out and catches me in thought and just like weirdness with Rico. But with this, this feels a bit more like a like a Cardi, Meg The Stallion like lane, but just not done to that level. Yeah, yeah. To that point, Mulatto just had a cameo. In the WAP video, nice pull there. Uh, could have used more of her, less of Kylie, as we all know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, let's talk about the music. Bluntly, like this is a Atlanta rap uh, al- Atlanta trap rap album from an Atlanta artist, and it's all. I think she's pretty good on the mic, pretty competent rapper. It's pretty good at that stuff. But definitely, I think it's really obvious. You listen to In and Out on this. Featuring City Girls. City Girls do this sound better. When Young Miami and JT come on that song, they just have a different kind of presence on the mic. Mm-hmm. Even for a, you know, just a kind of a standard song from them. Yep. Right. I think Mulatto is solid, but she's just not on their level in terms of personality at this time. So mm-hmm. I don't really, for me, uh, having listened to a lot of her stuff, including her, you know, her, her biggest hit uh, is, uh, Bitch from the South, the remix with Trina and Sweeties on this project. That's a good track, but again, I, I think if this is what you, if if this is specifically what you're looking for, why wouldn't you not you listen to City Girls from two months ago? That should I think this should just pops pops more and stands out more, you know. And then of course, as you mentioned, someone if you want to get weirder, you got Rico. If you want to you want to uh, kind of genre blend a little bit more, you got Doja, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you want better bars, you got Cardi and Megan. So. Right. It's just I, not that. I think she's good, but like that's the thing about female MCs now. We can just have a strata, you know? Right. Not everyone needs to be at the top, you know? Right. This is this is not quite as weird and energetic as Flo Millie. That's mm-hmm. okay. It's not bad. It's fine. No, it's it's not bad at all. And there's actually I think a lot to like on here and uh, I think the Atlanta uh aspect of it comes out quite a bit. You know, there were and I think when I think Atlanta, I always think about cast first. And I think there are some moments where you have like some outcast light moments, like mm. uh, on the song Muwap, they like or when it comes or actually even in the first track, Young, Youngest and Richest. I think there's a like the way that the uh, chorus builds up. There's like these like trumpets or horns around it or something like that. It almost sounds a little James Bondy, but, you know, it <laughs> feels like one of those like, you know, bringing in the brass section type things you might get from an Atlanta rapper. Um, I, I think it, when I look back at this, I think richest girl, the, I mean, youngest and richest, uh, Muwap really stood out. Um, and I guess the track with, with Savage pull up, uh, I liked, I, I think mostly cause when Savage hops on a track, I almost always like it. So. Classic 21, man, just being yeah. good. 21, <laughs> 21, just uh, so good. Um, yeah. And I, I think the, the final track, uh, 
Bitch from the South is probably another track that stood out. But overall, I found a lot of the stuff in between to kind of just blend together to me. A lot of the content mm-hmm. was the same and um, didn't find it super engaging. It sounds like you felt similar. Do you think uh, Mulatto, uh, I mean, this is only her like what first album and she's an XSL freshman, obviously yeah. an artist on the rise. Do you think there's anything that you take away that you wish she was doing differently or maybe trying mm. to do a little bit, bit more of? Yeah, to that point, she's only 21. This is the major label debut. And I think she's actually someone that people really plugged in have been paying attention to because she actually won the rap, that rap game show, TV show with Jermaine Dupri when she was 16. And Dupri actually offered her a record deal that she declined. She'd been independent this whole time until earlier this year. So definitely uh, someone that ha- has been rising. Yeah. But I think given the high standards we have for hip hop today, we would like that rise to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have any like specific things I'd want to see differently. It's just, I mean, and this is this is totally acceptable lane to just make Atlanta rap. You know, that right. this is the most popular form of rap today. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that, you know, get that money. Um, it's funny, <laughs> she's actually come under fire for still doing some club appearances during the pandemic and her response was of course that she's really young and is like supporting her family so f off mm-hmm. and it's like well, i get that but I, i'm more mad at the club promoters um right. <laughs> and uh um, also i think when, when she made xxl uh the whole thing about her name being mulatto came up which is of course a pejorative term for mixed uh race people uh not 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 the Probably not the best name, just kind of distracting. And she refers to herself as Big Lotto anyway, so maybe that could be a name change down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. But honestly, I, I think um, it's funny. My favorite quotable of hers is actually not on this because it's on the Bitch from the South original t- version uh, where she says, pop the trunks in that bitch running home, Derek Jeter, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. Uh, also, I want to shout out 42 Doug, who I thought had an awesome feature on Off Top. And Doug has just been on absolute heater since uh, we paid when Little Baby mm-hmm. came out. So he's an exciting artist for me as well. But yeah, Mulatto, I think uh, this is probably going to be an introduction point for a lot of people, apart mm-hmm. from Fish from the South. So uh, it's, it's, a solid, it's a solid foundation. I want to see what's next. For sure. I think the only thing I, I hope is moving forward, she's a little bit more, uh, she's a little bit more personal. Um, I think she definitely tells a little bit of her story on here, um, but I want to I want to hear her take on you know uh, the the criticism she's receiving around these these club appearances things like that. Take the take her. She obviously has a lot going on in her personal life. Is she supporting her family? Talk about that. Like just yeah. uh, you know grow definitely. in that that lyrical sense. But jumping to a uh, rapper who's a little bit more seasoned than Mulatto, just a little bit, just the tad uh, bit. <laughs> <laughs> they they called they called him Babyface back in '88. It's Nas, dog. Um, it's more than twice as old as her. <laughs> I know, crazy. Uh, so leading up to King's Disease, you know, uh, did we talk about the Lost Tapes last year? I can't remember. I don't think we, so. we did not talk about the Lost yeah. Tapes too. It was definitely not as strong as the original Lost Tapes, which had a lot more uh, hype behind it due to the uh, story behind that and Nas. Uh, the Lost Tapes 2 was just kind of lost cuts from later period Nas, which is not yeah. nearly as exciting as <laughs> lost tracks from early period Nas. I think that goes without saying. So yeah, we didn't have to talk about that one. Last time I talked about him was, of course, Nasir, June 2018, part of the 
Kanye Wyoming Sessions, which was a surprising uh, entry, of course, because Nas has never been signed to, to good music, but just mm-hmm. wanted to work with Ye. Ye wanted to work with him. Nas has since spoken about that and how they really didn't have as much time as they needed together, which I think most of us would probably agree, given that Nasir was a pretty middling record that still had some great moments, like Cop mm-hmm. Shot the Kids. Yep. But, uh, you know, Nas himself has basically said that, yeah, we kind of just made that in a week. And that, that, that's what you get. But it's Nas and Kanye. So it's not like it's terrible. You know, they're, they're that right. good. So they can kind of crap something out and it's halfway decent. Mm-hmm. But you can tell with King's Disease that there was a little more time put into this. And I think it's notable that this, al- this album coming out is we get that first single, Ultra Black. And he's like, oh yeah, new album next week with Hit Boy. And everyone's like, the fuck? Like Nas is the guy who throws away projects, teases projects for years and nothing ever comes of it. So this is kind of wild that he just drops something with like two weeks notice. Yeah, no, I, and I was actually going to bring that up is um, it's definitely uh, there's been some buzz in the last week and obviously it was only announced very recently, but I feel like for a Nas album to drop, like a proper Nas album to drop and not get as much hype or, or not be talked about. Like I've, I've seen a lot of other albums talked about recently. I haven't been seeing a lot of discourse on Nas the last couple of days. Maybe that's just where I've been tuned in. That might be. Um, I, I feel like in a way people are, are almost like, falling off Nas, like sleeping on Nas at this point. I mean, which you can't really be sleeping on a great like him, but like, I feel like there is a little bit less fanfare around him at this point. I think this is pretty common though. He's almost 47 late period rappers. It is, that, it is what it is. You know, I think late period rappers, the best ones are still always pretty solid, but not exciting anymore. I think of recent music from guys in Wu-Tang and Mm-hmm. Cameron and even Cube's album from a few years ago. This just just happens, you know. And right. there's the rare exceptions, right? Like like late bloomers like Pusha T and um, Jay Z's, of course, remarkable 444. Like that, that stuff's not not common. We've talked a lot about late period Eminem, and not, Nas is not at that level, uh, thankfully. Uh, and I actually think King's Disease is uh, pretty good. But you're right. Like, there's just there's just less hype about Nas. But then again, Nas has not been like super mainstream in quite a long time, to be honest. Yeah, and and I think where I wanted to kind of like come around is kind of where you got to is I think King's Disease is actually like a really nice like almost introduction to not to late period period Nas or like this like third or fourth act or whatever act you'd say mm-hmm. he's on at this point because it definitely feels like a shift in. in, in direction and creativity from where he was the last two years obviously um but him and hip boy i thought made a really solid record and i think hip boy's production is yeah the the place i want to start with this i think he like has stamped himself all over this and i walked away just being like who the hell produced that when i first i gave it a listen without reading like it was Nas and hip boy i was like oh makes a lot of sense okay yeah (laughs) well and that's always been a common reframe with Nas is that he's an amazing lyricist punchline deliverer all of that yet he does not have the best ear for beats mm-hmm. especially after the first few albums and having hit boy produce or co-produce every track on your album is a great place to start and thankfully hit boy was up to the challenge so yeah i think the beats they just kind of uh, elevate elevate the bars because the for bars sure. are always good with nas right sometimes mm-hmm. they can be a little corny or maybe his actual message is you know you, you might raise an eyebrow to what he actually said but it's always good rapping right. you know so have having the the production meet that level is great 
for sure. And I, I think I think the first three songs, King Disease, Blue Benz, and Car eighty five are just mm-hmm. like hip boy showing off, <laughs> like yeah. so to speak. You know, I, I really felt like those three tracks just really, really jumped out at me. And and I think there's a couple of tracks in the middle that things kind of quiet down a bit, like 27 summers replaced me until the war is won. I, I didn't really, uh, didn't grab me, but then you have Hawk jumping in. Um, I, I didn't check this, but I'm, I'm imagining he probably played the drums on that track. Cause they really pop mm. um, on all that. Yeah. Good idea. And then um, I really thought the, the endings like a, the 10 points I really liked. I mm. thought spicy with five, Oh four and ASAP Berg was actually pretty decent, which I was, yeah. And when I saw that, that they were on the track with Nas, I was like, oh, this feels a bit Definitely like a, a fame grab, you know? <laughs> Nas wants to do a song with Fivio. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that's real. a nice New York track, though. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to like on here. What, what stood out to you or what songs are you listening back to? From a hip-hop history standpoint, Full Circle is an obvious highlight because that's him reuniting with his group, The Firm. And mm-hmm. hearing Nas on a song with AZ again is like low-key insane. And mm-hmm. I thought they all were really good on that. that that's really cool. Um, Dave, on Full Circle, there's, there's an uncredited background vocal. Can you take a guess at who it is? It's a, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's a male singer who's on a very famous like game show now. No, no, who is it? Robin Thicke, dog. Wow. It's backup vocals on that song. That's and and so does Dr. Dre, but Dre's credited on it. Um, no, but I, cool. I love that song. Good choice. <laughs> go go on though. Sorry to interrupt. No, uh, I, I thought the cure was also really good. As you mentioned, uh, rest in peace, Kobe and nip that's off the rip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ultra black probably has the biggest quotable of all. Um, I'm unapologetic, unapologetically black, the opposite of Doja cat, yeah. which is actually fucking flames because Doja cat has been uh, in quite the hot, quite hot water for her, dabbling in racist chat rooms on the internet and in general putting her foot in her mouth it was disappointing for me to see Nas kind of walk that back when asked about and just saying ah you know that's just kind of bars and words we just kind of say stuff sometimes I was like well bro that shit made sense though you don't have Mm -hmm. to defend it like I mean (laughs) especially like Doja Cat is like an easy target so it's like I I thought that I thought that that was sick that's a track I like in general as well yeah, the, it's just Ultra Black is a really strong track. I think it's probably the track that sounds like most like old school Nas to me. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe Blue Benz too, I think really sounds yeah, like Blue Benz is another highlight. Nas. But um, I don't know. Do- Doja seems like she's got a lot of issues, dude. Like, I think if yep. she's going on and talking about herself, may- maybe low hanging fruit a little bit, you know? Sure. I don't know. But I, I think I I definitely perked up when I heard that. I was like, Whoa. yeah. I mean, it fits the song too. It's also not like the first line either. You know, I think it's it's spruced and spruced and well. So yeah, no, I I agree. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like on here, and and I feel like reintroducing himself a bit uh, as like I'm still Nas, I'm still great. Gonna, you know, keep working with great producers and. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope this is like kind of how he spends the latter half of his career, is just like getting a great producer. At first, when I heard some of the tracks, I thought he was he was working with Kay Trinata, actually, <laughs> and I was like, yo, if you got Kay Trinata on this, that's that's a great uh, great choice by him. So I don't know, be quite the combo. <laughs> It'd be very interesting. I don't even know how that would go, to be honest. But <laughs> I, I want to hear it. This was album thirteen. Nas has nothing to lose at this point. Do whatever. Right. Exactly. 
Um, speaking of nothing to lose, uh, when you haven't dropped an album in almost a decade, you really have nothing to lose. And Bright Eyes uh, certainly gave it their all on this X. album. It's it's a uh, it's a very uh, I'm not gonna say bloated because I don't think this album's bloated at all. But it's, there's a lot on this album, a lot of different flourishes and touches. And yeah, just the fact that Bright Eyes is back with their new drop, Down in the Weeds, where the world once was, is kind of crazy. Um, Dave, yeah. any any familiarity with Bright Eyes prior to this? Of course, we did review Better Oblivion Community Center last year. Check that out, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Other than that, Connor Oberst was but a name to me. Mm-hmm. Not the type of indie rock I normally listen to. Yet, a very important figure that is often cited as an inspiration by many people in my mainstream pop. So I've seen this written a lot recently that the bright eyes is almost getting like the critical respect it didn't get back in the day belatedly mm-hmm. obviously i'm not a big enough fan to speak to that but that's that's kind of cool that's interesting that's gonna happen all the time uh and really not having much ex- much exposure to old bright eyes just kind of going into this i like this album a lot yeah uh and i think Oberst stood out to me and helped me like it you know those flourishes you mentioned this album kind of changes what it sounds like from time to time mm-hmm. and we're going to get to another rock album later that didn't do that enough for me, but bright eyes uh, <laughs> surprised me. I did not expect to like it as much as I did. Yeah. It's funny. I, there's been uh, reading articles and, and hearing some of the acclaim bright eyes gets from current uh, artists, young artists. It's almost kind of like they post Malone, for example. <laughs> yeah. But they kind of are getting like compared to Bob Dylan in a sense, in terms of like, uh, you know, being the voice of this generation that's growing up in a, uh, you know, a society that feels like it's decaying and falling apart. And, you know, Bright Eyes is, is kind of known for having these like apocalyptic, yeah. I, like themes running through a lot of their songs. You know, like I, I always think of nihilism. Like, yes, he, uh, for sure. Connor's Dark. Yes, absolutely. Like, what, one of my, my favorite songs. So, I, I guess there's probably two that I think of. And I think one is a very well known song by them called Devil Town. It was. It was uh, in the Friday Night Lights movie, uh, TV show, closing out season one. So I think a lot of people kind of learned it there. Devil Town, I think, is a very, like, I don't know, relatable song. But then a song like Easy Lucky Free, which is a bit more of a, a deeper cut for Bright Eyes, is very much just like, yeah, the world's falling apart, but, uh, you know, just go, go with the flow, go along with it. Like, this is just hmm. all we can do. And it, I, I think that kind of embodies the, the spectrum of Bright Eyes in a lot of ways, those two songs. And then you, you you think about, you know, we listened to Better Oblivion Community Center last year, and um, we, we both really liked it. I think Phoebe really inspired Connor in a lot of ways yeah. to, to bring his A-game to that and really solid album. And then I think he had something to talk about on this. I think it, not only is this a time in society when things really do feel like they're burning to, gra- to the ground, but Connor's personal life was kind of burning mm-hmm. to the ground when he wrote this. He... Uh, I was going through a divorce. He lost his brother. Um, those two things are very much like a part of this album and kind of stand out. Um, and I think the music uh, really kind of fits that theme. And it, it, it kind of, I'm really impressed, I think, with how Connor writes lyrics that feel so personal, but then can be extrapolated to broader themes so easily a lot of the time did you find yourself connecting with any of that or at least noticing that as you were listening 
Yeah, I think so. You know, um, early on with dance and sing, mm-hmm. where the, the way he sings, uh, just I think it's a dance on through, I think is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you, you can kind of like hear the pain, but it's, it's to me, it's like top tier, like indie rock vocal, vocal delivery with that. Yeah. And when the vocals grab me like that, that's when I can really connect with the lyrics, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, you can tell <laughs> it's funny because like normally I'm not really down with stuff that's like super downer or, or emo, but I don't really think of this as like emo music. You know, I think that's because those vocals change throughout the record, but also I think they're strong vocals, you know? And on top of that, I, think the, I like the drums and guitar throughout most mm-hmm. of this. So dance and sing stood out to me and Mariana's trench, which yeah. probably uh that was a single makes sense as a single. That's a pretty accessible track, but that one's still a highlight to me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Mariana Trench really stood out to me. And you mentioned the singing. Connor is really has this warble in his voice Definitely. that I think is so distinct for him, but really mm-hmm. works to his, to his, his delivery and in, in his song, uh, uh, in whatever he's singing about. Um, I thought death uh, to death's heart, in three parts was probably the the track I found to be the most engaging and, and the one I liked the most. Uh, it was folky but psychedelic at parts. It was almost kind of like a I don't know, kind of reminded me of like a song you might hear like a wedding, but like so much darker. It was kind of weird, and I think the the guitars in it is was really really great. Um, and then Persona Non Grata, another single from this. Uh, there's this like breakdown in the middle where these like voices chime in and then there's like a, a choir or chorus that comes together. Just some really wonderful moments. Um, I think on Persona Non Grata, they also had the bagpipes in it. I think that was the one. Um, and that, that really also was like a moment. Uh, a couple of these songs, just a note, had Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, jumping on the, the bass, which I thought was uh, pretty cool because, uh, I mean, anytime you can get Flea to play bass you kind of have to take it i think um yeah any any other thoughts on this i mean uh, i just think there's a lot to like here in general mm-hmm. i thought it closed pretty well i like calais to dover mm-hmm. and comet song as well yeah uh, yeah i mean it, it, it's something you know it's what 40 minutes or no no 55 minutes but it i think it really holds atten- holds your attention which yeah. for me, my personal taste is not common with indie rock. So I was very happy with this one. The last album was nine years ago. So the fact <laughs> that they released something this cohesive, this thoughtful, yeah. and I thought... Doesn't sound out of date either. No, it just is like really impressive to see them have this strong of a comeback. So definitely very cool. Um, but Dave, now I think we're going to get to the album we're going to agree on the least today, which is uh, Imploding the Mirage by the killers and um you know the killers are interesting so last time we talked about them would have been a wonderful wonderful which came out two mm. years ago applied three the years highlight ago. three years ago oh my 17. god jeez um and the highlight of that was definitely um the man which has been put into a lot of songs the taylor swift oh, song sorry, <laughs> uh yes the they actually uh, ghost wrote most of the new taylor album People don't know that fact, but uh, no, the man who was in uh, Vice, very prominent uh, song for the the release of that movie. Right. But when we when we talked about it, I think we found that it felt like the Killers had kind of just 
lost inspiration, just weren't really saying anything that was worth listening about and just were making music that was pretty boring. Um, but in, in the last three years, they've had some band members either totally drop out. Uh, Mark Stomer, their guitarist mm. is no longer with the band. Um, and their bassist has kind of taken on the role of like lead guitar on a lot of these tracks, but has also been, you know, discussing maybe not wanting to be a part of the band as much. And I think actually it's a step away from production of this album at points. Um, so really it's just Brandon Flowers and, and the, the drummer, but this is a totally Brandon Flowers driven album and i think you can tell by lyrical content and aspiration especially if you've listened to any brandon solo stuff it feels a lot like he was taking the formula of the killers but then bringing in that that weirdness of his solo stuff to really meld it together and i thought it totally worked i think employing the mirage is the best killers album that we've gotten in i don't even know day and age which came i think 2008 so maybe in the last 10 years 12 years Mm. um well that's good yeah well but i I, i'm wondering did you think it was any good uh i this is just classic not for me music um not a huge killers guy in the first place i like the big songs like mr bright side which is damn near has a billion plays on spotify kind of crazy as it Um, should yeah somebody told somebody told me uh when you were young like great stuff but like after Sam's Town, I really have no connection to the Killers at all. So I also don't really have any expectations either. To me, uh, the Mirage, the Mirage I saw when I was listening to this music in the car, was just the monotony of Brand Flowers' vocal delivery. Uh, he is really? soft as fuck to me, and I just don't, I can't get into it. It's like Vampire Weekend. It's like not even an indictment on the quality of the music. I just cannot connect. Yeah. Usually, usually. That that's really interesting because a lot of the praise that has come for the killers all throughout is that Flowers' vocals are just still top. He notch. sounds inspired. This is better than wonderful, wonderful, but it's also just this still doesn't do much for me. That's just my personal taste. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I think about the killers, I was trying to think like who else is in their their lane or who else does what they do in the rock yeah. sphere right now. And I, I can't really think of anybody except for maybe the Foo Fighters who uh, they really make just anthem, anthemic yeah. songs. They just want to have rock. that. Yeah. They want to have that build up. They want to reach that crescendo. Brandon Flowers wants to be standing on the edge of the stage, like pumping his fists, like getting the crowd going. It's very Springsteen like, and I think imploding the Mirage feels like, the killers doing Springsteen light in a lot of ways. And that's kind of been always been flowers like broad comparison. He's not even close to Springsteen's Springsteen <laughs> stratosphere, but kind of has similar things. He talks about these like very specific town metaphors in order to extrapolate bigger ideas. You know, he, he makes these songs that have these buildups and talk about women who are, you know, are, you know, in these like dire situations and grow up in these impoverished places so it's it's just kind of like i i think while some of this stuff seems very familiar there are some moments that seem pretty cool and one one moment that i want really wanted to highlight for me was dying breed it has like this like thumping almost like 
it reminded me a lot of like LCD sound systems, uh, North American scum, um, or even off their most recent one, Oh baby, where it was like the drums were really building up, building up, building up throughout and didn't have much variation, but they kind of built a soaring song off it, which I was like, Oh, this is something I haven't heard from the killers much or a song like when the dreams run dry has like this weird breakdown in the second verse that almost feels like the, the song like escape, um from like the 80s like do you like pina coladas whatever has like that (laughs) weird like island like breakdown but i was like you know what this is them being weird but it seems to fit and kind of make sense and i i I think there there's a lot here to like and i'm i i'm really impressed with this but was was there any tracks that stood out to you anything that you liked yeah my favorite song was my god with way's blood Mm. i really liked the way those vocals were mixed together um And which is interesting because I don't I didn't really don't really care for Way's Blood normally. Uh, yeah. Definitely a much different type of music than this. Um, mm-hmm. I think like the lead single, Caution, like the like, and I think actually most of this music is not offensive at all. It's completely inoffensive, and, and as you said, it's like Food yeah. Fighters. It, it's it's designed. This is almost designed to be performed with a group and mm-hmm. in front of people, right? And the the brand of flowers of it all does make sense. Right. Um, and he's actually spoken to how his drive is probably perhaps different than his bandmates because he's a lot younger than his bandmates mm-hmm. and he's like maybe if i was their age and it was reversed i would actually feel differently but you can tell that he's still uh pretty 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 inspired and i do think some of the lyrics do stand out because he, he kind of has a, a way of storytelling where he's kind of speaking in less matter of fact terms more more symbolism and stuff so yeah i, I respect it it's just not not my, not my jam usually yeah caution is funny because that feels like the most like basic killers just like yeah. we're just gonna <laughs> use the old school formula and just make a, a song with some new lyrics but i think when they when they really take some chances on this it comes out well like lightning fields i really liked with katie lang i thought like the back and forth with the uh, flowers and katie lang was really strong um my my own soul's warning was really good uh yeah i think there's lots of like here and it just feels nice to have the killers kind of getting back to form in a way so definitely an album i'd, rec- I'd recommend checking out and also check out our nostalgia best of 2020 on spotify where we'll be putting a song or two from almost all the albums we talked about today um but let's wrap up the show talking a, a show that we reviewed the first episode of i think we were really excited to watch the rest of the series i may destroy you from michaela cole um man uh, i was definitely blown away by the final episode and and i think there's a couple of episodes that really stand out as just strong strong moving emotional thought-provoking episodes a couple that that didn't as much work as much for me but overall i thought this first season was a total triumph how did you feel Oh, I may destroy you, Dave. I agree. Uh, absolutely incredible season of TV. Mm-hmm. I've been really contemplating how high it'll go on my list right now because this <laughs> is, a, I think this has been a very strong year for TV. Like the top 10, whatever your top 10 is, it's going to be good. Um, but this show, uh, I think, made some of the early praise as the season started going was that Michaela Cole is the next great tv auteur she is the star of the show she wrote the whole season by herself and she co-directed everything as well like com- complete talent right and mm-hmm. 
the show as you watch it it continues to change your expectations of what you're watching and layering in so many kinds of themes and and and, and deep uh, multi-layered themes on top of that you know and the the episode structure changes you know halfway through we start getting flashbacks we get introduced to brand new characters that actually uh, come in an important way but just the way Cole's storytelling changes your expectations not just of the narrative but even like the kind of conclusions you're supposed to take away from the themes continue to uh keep me keep me guessing but also really blew me away by the end so uh definitely one of the best shows of the year and you know it has a a lot of that dna that we associate with shows like atlanta and fleabag Mm -hmm. and uh, it's incredible and also i think stands out for justifying a 12 episode season like we rarely see a season that long especially on something like hbo mm-hmm. but i mean there weren't any episodes i would cut like there it was just kind of the levels of whether you got blown away or not but everything every, the yeah. whole season's great yeah no I, I would agree i think every episode is well done and definitely uh makes you think about things you might not normally think about um uh, but when i as we, I was watching the last couple of episodes, I think it was episode 10, the episode where she sits down, has dinner with her family. Maybe that was episode nine. I can't remember. It was around yeah, there. Nine or 10. And that's when I kind of, it finally clicked for me. I think Atlanta and Fleabag are definitely in the DNA, but this felt like almost like a more, more thought provoking or touching on more serious topic. Master of none. There you go. Where, um, you know, like you get that episode and that felt a lot like the Lena Waith episode where yeah, she goes Thanksgiving. home for Thanksgiving. And I was like, wow, this, the structure works so well, but it, you know, both are, are obviously focusing on different topics, but you know, that, that idea of trauma, that kind of was like the, the thread that kind of pulled all these things together. And uh, I was just really blown away with how she, Michaela Cole conceptualized and handled these conversations in this and Mm -hmm. she didn't make one character like the 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 perfect character the one who dealt with everything well or the one who just kind of knew what was happening they all struggled and were had their 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 pitfalls and had their moments and uh boy i was really uh really blown away and it's funny as i'm talking about this i keep thinking about the friend um i'm kind of i'm forgetting your name at the moment let me pull it up yeah, Terry, um, who's played by uh, Warucha Opia. And uh, Terry, I think in the second half of the season, really becomes kind of like the level-headed person in the show, kind of mm-hmm. like the one who's kind of holding the friend group together as uh, Kwame and, and Arabella are dealing with their own trauma around their sexual abuse that they were victims of. And then I, I think in a way she kind of gets framed as like, oh, you know, she's kind of the one who is like – kind of keeping her shit together and then she goes on the date with the person who's uh transsexual mm-hmm. or transgender i'm sorry and uh i think you kind of see that character grow and like sit with that discomfort and you're kind of like left with conflicting thoughts about her in that moment you know and like yeah. i think it also leads you to ask questions about yourself in a lot of ways which i think is something not all shows really do I thought that was just really well done. And then she kind of comes to recognize how her threesome probably wasn't the most consensual experience in her book. And I thought that was really well done, how they kind of showed cons- like mm. consent and, and what constituted or what didn't and in such a thought-provoking way. It was right. really, really well done. 
yeah, I mean, the show, when you hit the early reviews and the way the show is pitched, it's about this, was this wide-ranging review of, <clears throat> or examination of consent, right? And you know sexual assaults involved, but the show is so layered, there's so much nuance. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way memory keeps coming up and how that mm-hmm. changes, and as you just said, with Terry and of course with Arabella, you know, um, you know, the, the, this, the stuff with the trans character for Terry reminds me a lot of what happens early on between Kwame and Tyrone, right? You see Kwame mm-hmm. is this guy who uh, is just on Grinder a lot and it's not really trying to make connections, right? He's just hooking up to hook up, get that release, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just keeping everything, keeping himself closed off. And then when this, he meets someone who actually wants to connect to him and, and, and won't just, you know, give in to the normal advances, you see Kwame almost rejecting. I, I, that scene was really blowing me away because I was like, fuck, you start feeling like shit. You're like, oh, Kwame, don't be a dick to this dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like this is your actual chance. And like, again, the way, the way they always do everything is there's no clear, clear point of view, right? And like, I think of something like the episode eight, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to talk about like social media and doxing and the internet and how there's so much nuance with that. And there's no easy answers there either. Right. Um, And probably the most revelatory uh, instance of this for me is in episode six, the Alliance. When we first get those flashbacks and you're introduced to Theo actually becomes an important figure. And throughout Mm -hmm. the run of that, that episode, you think five different things are going to happen. And you think the vil- the villain changes to you constantly, right? The way the stepdad's initially yeah. portrayed, the way the guy she has sex with is portrayed. You're like, oh, she's going to get raped, right? Like the, like the way the mom is portrayed, like it keeps changing. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know where you stand. And I think that's the, so great about the show. So there are times that this show is quite uncomfortable to watch. And it really, like, like I think challenging TV is kind of overused term, but this actually, I think, justifies that distinction because it makes you uncomfortable but not just to, to do that. It, it's because the ideas are actually portray, portrayed and presented in such a nuanced uh, way that warrants uh, that much actual thought for the viewer. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Hi- I think to highlight that point on the nuance even further, I think you see Arabella's behaviors throughout the season um, becoming increasingly unhealthy in terms of how she's dealing with things because she's not, she's not actually dealing with things. You know, she goes to a therapist and the interaction is incredibly awkward for her. And, and, you know, it seems like she's not really consistently connecting with their therapist from what we're shown throughout the season. That that's kind of, I think comes to uh, a head in like episode 10 or 11 when she calls like the emergency hotline number and, meets with the, the, the therapist then and kind of gets a uh, hold on things with the doxing. But um, I think that that's such a, uh, a nuanced way of showing trauma and, and how people's behaviors are impacted by that, right? Because while certainly some of the things, some of the decisions Arabella makes make sense, a lot of the things like going to that guy's house in Italy, the drug dealing boyfriend and trying to handle things the way that she handled with him is not something that someone would normally do if, if they weren't necessarily dealing with all the stress, anxiety, pain that comes from being abused in the way that Arabella was abused. And then to kind of see her in the final episode, and the, I guess this is my interpretation of it, but to go through these 
three phases almost of wanting to like pummel the guy that that when she finally remembers who it was that did this to her wanting to like pummel that guy and almost kill him uh to actually you know killing him in the end in the first part to the second part wanting to confront him and understand why are you doing these things to people to then in the final scene kind of just getting acceptance that like I have to take control of these situations and I have to um, build narrative for myself in order to heal and move forward, which I think was kind of what the book plan out was that she did with uh, that guy. The the other author was yeah, Mm -hmm. Zane in episode 11, but I just thought that was just such a wonderful way of uh, portraying that psychological experience and that healing process. Um, Just really, uh, really strong overall. Yeah, I mean that that whole like dreamlike sequence throughout mm-hmm. uh, our setting, you know, for for, for the finale, uh, is largely unexpected because apart from like that brief instance of like the apparition of like dark Arabella over the bed a few episodes back, mm-hmm. you don't really get that kind of stuff. We get you we get used to flashbacks. We get used to really strong, important B plots like with Kwame, but mm-hmm. have dream like a dreamlike. Uh, scenario come up in the finale again just super yeah. revelatory and then it actually lands right? right um yeah it's fantastic show yeah and i think to land where it did with ben where you know it keeps kind of flashing back to right before she goes to the bar and ben's like you going out tonight going to the bar and she's like yeah you know da, da. and then finally she's like no i think i'll stay in with you and like gives him a hug and ben who's kind of like this like i think overlooked character who gets given a lot of depth as the season goes on, you kind of right. understand he's this lonely guy who just doesn't feel comfortable in those experience in those settings, but really longs to like be accepted and part of things. It's just a really beautiful and heartwarming mm-hmm. moment. And then of course you see Terry getting uh, the, the spot in the commercial and you see yeah. Kwame ending up with Tyrone and kind of letting himself be loved. It's really, uh, yeah, the more I talk about it, the more blown away I am by the show in general. It's a lot to process. Yeah, I think also on more surface level stuff, you know, great British show, really British culture is a big part of the way the show works, you know, both mm-hmm. that's obvious stuff like the dialogue, but also just the things they do. Um, it's a, feels like a millennial show as yeah. well. Um, definitely a, like a black British show, right? Like black British identity is a very specific thing mm-hmm. and um you know, I think the, the, the black experience in uh, the UK is not often that explored here in the US, but still a very distinct, important thing. Think of comments from people like John Boyega for more on right. that. But Cole also just kind of feels like the perfect uh, uh, voice for this kind of thing because she's yeah. kind of just, she's just demonstrated uh, really astute observations and, and has something, uh, I think, worthy to say. So. For sure. Uh, where are you at with if the show will return? There's no no word on a season two. It definitely is a closed season. I think this is a season that will stand the test of time, whether there's a second mm-hmm. season or not. Um, I'm sure HBO will be open to it, given the acclaim. But it's all about if I think if Michaela Cole wants to. Now the way it ends right. with like the END typed out, yeah, leads me to believe that uh, Cole got everything out that she needs to get out, and there's no need to go back. But is that what you think? Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I interpreted the ending as well as like this is a, a one-off type thing. I want to see Michaela Cole continue to explore this type of material though because I think she is she tells such a specific perspective but one that is so 
important and like like we've talked about nuanced and I, I also feel like she kind of speaks to our generation maybe a bit younger than than you and I as well but like that whole scene the idea of like dating culture and dating apps going out doing drugs going to clubs like I think she tells that in a, in a way that feels so lived in and, and relatable um, sometimes I think shows like euphoria make it seem like okay well it's just it's not yeah. realistic this is <laughs> definitely feel like oh i could see myself like being out at a yeah. bar at that time you know right and i, I think probably the most obvious part about that is this show portrays sexual assault in so many different ways and continues yeah. to introduce new aspects and layers of that throughout like as you mentioned when the terry stuff comes up with the threesome right it's like mm-hmm. you know everyone everyone has a firm grasp of like a really hardcore rape right yeah but there's a lot more than just that and the show gets into that uh definitely quite a bit so yeah, yeah. wonderful I, show i think i might have this number one i think it's top two for me wow on the air. strong strong words from dave martin swagger guys go watch i may destroy you if you haven't highly recommended um but dave what should the people be watching or listening to for next week yeah so movie theaters are opening in some places. Some places. The New Mutants and the personal history of David Copperfield will be available. As well as Bill and Ted uh, Face the Music, the third Bill and Ted movie, which is also on VOD. We'll definitely talk about Bill and Ted. Pat does not have open theaters by him. I am still weighing the uh, risks and rewards of such ventures, but I'll definitely go see Tenet. So that's coming up a little bit later. But movie, uh, there is one movie I'm very interested in. It'll be on VOD. It's called... Uh, uh, Shadow of Violence with Barry Keoghan was at TIFF last year. Has really good reviews. Uh, seems right up our alley. So hopefully we can talk about that. And then there's uh, some music at the Dua Lipa remix album that was supposed to be last week was delayed a week so that they could animate uh, every song video. We have a Jaden Smith project. Always interested to see what the hell Jaden has up his sleeve, whether it's good or bad or somewhere <laughs> in between. Uh, and then probably the two most notable releases we have disclosures final uh third album it's finally here very exciting and probably equally uh, no- uh, notable is uh the return of Katy perry smile oh, new studio album coming off a very disappointing last album someone whose teenage dream has just turned 10 years old used to be at the absolute top of pop is still not very old but she has been eclipsed by some of her peers can she get it back yeah we'll see oh boy all right well at nostalgia pod on twitter soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and youtube.com slash nostalgia pod wear your mask social distance see you next week yeah.